Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. We continue in a beautiful week. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's start today with Psalms chapter 91. One of our children will be reciting for us, so let's go to them right now. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his wings, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckle. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hand they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against your stone. He will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. He will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As we turn our hearts to prayer today, I want us to really pray today for the economy of the nation. These six months of lockdowns have pretty much devastated business. The retail trades, schools, private schools, restaurants, anything buy and sell other than the, the most basic necessities. This has been a time when our economy has been devastated and we have been growing for how many years and years and years. We need to pray today that God will rebuild the economy of our land. If we are going to take the gospel out of the Philippines as a springboard to the rest of Asia, our people need to be prosperous so that we can do this. Now I know other world economies have been devastated also, but my Bible teaches me to pray for the prosperity of the city in which I live. Because as it prospers, so I too will prosper. So we apply that to our nation. We should be praying every day for the prosperity of our nation. We need to pray for food. We need to pray for the rice harvest. We need to pray for the fish to come back in close to the shores. We need to pray for the piggeries. We need to pray for the, the chicken farms. I mean, between this bird flu that wiped out a lot of our chickens and this this disease that has killed so many of the pigs. Folks, we just need God to bless our land. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for all of the goodness that you have shown to our nation over all of these years. Father, our whole nation has come up out of poverty. There's still a lot of room for work, yes, but Father, you've, you've shown so much graciousness and so much mercy to our land. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, bless our land. Bless the crops of our land. Bless all of our corn harvest. Bless all of our vegetables. Bless all of our rice harvest. Oh, Father, give us the, the greatest rice harvest we could ever, we've ever seen in our lives. 
Let there be no typhoons and storms that destroy the harvest of our land. Father, we've lost so many of our chickens and so many of our pigs and the pig farms and chicken farms because of these diseases. Father, in Jesus' name, let there just come a sovereign healthiness on all of the livestock, all of the animals of our land, that there will be abundance of food in our land. We pray, Father, for the fish. Lord, sometimes the pollution has driven them away. But Lord, change the currents of the water. Change the streams of the water. And let the fish be brought close to the shores again. That all of our fishermen will have tremendous harvest, Father. Tremendous harvest of tuna. And tremendous harvest of all the normal fish that we eat every day, Lord. Father, we pray for all of our fish pens. Father, there will be an abundant blessing. There won't be losses and destruction by typhoons and floods. Father, bless our land. We pray for all of the economy. Money has just not flowed. And Lord, money has to move. People can't make money if money is not moving. Money has to begin to circulate. Father, I don't know how to make it work. I know all the theory, but God, I understand that only you can work a miracle. Money is just plugged up right now. It's not moving. Let money begin to circulate again, Lord. Let buying and selling begin to take place again, Lord. Let money begin to circulate and move, that, that people can go to school and bills can be paid and collections can be made and people can earn well. Let that circulation of money grow, Father. Just, just like a tsunami rising up. Let that grow, but not, not too fast with inflation, Lord, but let that, that money supply begin to grow and grow and grow and circulate in the land. I thank you for it, Father. I pray for all of our people's businesses, Lord, for supernatural favor to be upon them, the favor of God and the favor of man, that all of the small little subsistence businesses, Lord, that they would sell out every single day, sell out their vegetables, there'd be no wastage, sell out their food that they've cooked with no wastage. Father, for the businesses that are selling in the larger scale, give them favor, Father. And let collections be done easily and well and not fighting every day to collect the money. Let money flow again, Father. Lord, you promised to bless the work of our hands. We ask you, Father, for that blessing. We don't ask you to bless the sitting on our butt. We ask you to bless the work of our hands. Give us work for our hands to do and bless that work in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. We invite your presence, you're welcome here with us, settle in among us, find in us your rest. Make yourselves at home, do as you please, help yourself to anything you want from me. Jesus, come, come receive our love. Let us say again, you mean everything to us. Come, Jesus, come, accept the words we bring to you. You are welcome here with us. We invite your presence. 
Our New Testament passage today picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, all right, this is their question. We know that all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. All right, so knowledge is a source of pride and arrogance. Now, you have to be careful. I mean, please, I have no problem with, you know, learning. You know I believe in studying. You know I believe in learning. But have you ever heard about the educated elite and their arrogance as they look down their nose at everybody? Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Love builds up. See, when you love people, you're always trying to help them. Knowledge is, look at what I know. Be quiet and listen to what I know. But love, how can I help you? How can I develop you? There's a difference. There's a huge difference between intellectual eliteness and intellectual arrogance and love. And Paul is dealing with this intellectual arrogance all through Athens and Corinth, this, this Greek culture. He said, if anyone imagines, that is a key word, imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. So you have to understand that knowledge is a door to learning, not the end. When you have learned your multiplication tables, that is not the end. That is just a door to now go on and learn fractions learn calculus, learn geometry. The, the, learning, your, your, learning the multiplication tables is not the end. Well, look at me. I know the multiplication tables. Woo. That, that's not the end. That's, that just shows you that there's more to learn. See, th this is a big challenge that people have with knowledge sometimes. They, Paul said there are people that imagine that they know something. But he said if they really knew it, they would understand that there's so much more that they don't know. But the fact that they're acting like they know it all, and here's, here's just really, have you heard people called know-it-alls? These are people who think they know it all. He said, if they imagine that they know something, he said, they don't know like they ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, there's a cool statement. How many of you love God? Okay. If you love God, God knows you. Ah, you need to meditate on that. Right in the column of your Bible, God knows me. He knows you down to the intimate details of the bottoms of your soul, okay? If you love God, you're known by God. I absolutely adore that thought. Remember all the times I've taught you, just because you love him, there are things that happen just because you love him. Well, when you love him, God gets intimately acquainted with your life. Now tie that back into Psalms 91, if he loves me, the end of Psalms 91. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know, notice this is all knowing, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. We know two things. We know idols mean nothing. 
and we know that there is only one God. That's, that's what we know. We said, no question about it. Now, th this is why I, I don't get all upset with people and, and say we should do this and we should do that. These idols are irrelevant. Now, I would not have an idol in my home. I would not go to India and bring back the God of Prosperity, which looks like a big elephant with arms coming out of it. I would not bring that back into my home. I have seen them, but I wouldn't bring them back into my home. When I was in Israel, I have a friend there who sells artifacts to me. And he said, I have the largest collection of Asherah, the, the, these demon idols from ancient Israel. He said, I have the largest collection in the nation. I'd like to sell it to you. I said, I don't want any Asherah poles in my house. I do not want any demon idols in my house. But at the same time, I'm not worried about what that demon idol can do because an idol has no real existence. Isaiah makes fun of them. He said, you, you take a piece of wood and you, you chop off one piece and you burn it in the fire and the other piece you carve and bow down and worship it. He, he, he makes fun of people. He said, you know, you have to take your idol out for a walk because it can't move around. So why do you pray and ask it to help you? He said, an idol has no real existence. He said, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many what people call gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father. Everybody say, one God, one God. He said, I know there's lots of things people call gods, but they're not. There's one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Wow. All right, so God is creator And God is sustainer. And Jesus is creator. <laughs> and Jesus is sustainer. He said, now listen, we all exist through Jesus. He said, the reason we continue to exist is Jesus. However, not all possess this knowledge. He said, there's a lot of people who don't understand this. But some, through their former association with idols before salvation, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So it's not that the, the idol is anything. The problem is in their conscience, the way they think about themselves. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. All right, so food is not relevant. If I eat a balut, it does not make change me spiritually. It's not good. It's not bad. He said, food does not change us spiritually. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, we've talked about these weak people before. He said, listen, you don't go out and do something because you understand, knowing that the conscience of that person is going to be defiled. Maybe they grew up worshiping Zeus and every day of their life, they brought sacrifices to Zeus and brought this meat to Zeus and they sacrificed every piece of meat to Zeus and they ate it with thanksgiving to Zeus. And now you go to Zeus's temple and buy meat. Because oftentimes these ancient demon temples, they, they were like a market and they, they sold products, okay? This is meat that has been sacrificed to Zeus and blessed by Zeus. He said, now listen, you and I know it doesn't mean anything. 
doesn't mean a single thing. He said, but you know what? It might stumble the weak person, so don't do it. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? He said, you're going to make him go backwards. You're going to make them go backwards. He said, we don't make people go backwards spiritually. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. He said, we don't, we don't do things like this. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience. Wow. So this is a sin. When you, you purposely use your knowledge and your liberty and your freedom, and you know it's going to bother the person who's with you, and you do it anyway, you sin against them, you wound their conscience when it's weak, and thirdly, you sin against Christ. He said, listen, you got to think about these people. He said, knowledge puffs up. He said, love builds up. He said, are, are you thinking about what you're doing? Mm. Therefore, if any food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, a good illustration of this is when we're in Israel, and I'm eating with someone who is a conservative Jew. And they ask me if I would like to eat something that I know is not kosher. I say, no, 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 let's go to a kosher restaurant. I'm not going to make them go have a pizza with me because that mixes meat and cheese. We're going to go to a kosher restaurant. I might want to eat shrimp, but I know that eating shrimp will cause them to stumble. So you and I have to understand, we have to be cognizant of where people are coming from and what people's consciences are, are dealing with them about. And we have to understand, we don't stumble our brothers because you're sinning against your brother, you're wounding their conscience, you're sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food makes your brother stumble, Paul said, I'll never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul said, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to go vegetarian. If eating meat stumbles my brother, I will be a vegetarian. I've had Indian families that I know do not eat meat at all. And some of them tell me, you know, Pastor Summer, it's wonderful. Go ahead and, and we'll have meat. And others say, Pastor Summer, can we just have a vegan meal? Can we have a vegetarian meal? I say, yeah, we can have tofu. And I love the spicy spinach. See, folks, at some point, you just have to understand, we don't live for ourselves. We're always trying, love builds up. And this is what Paul is trying to teach us. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Those who know your name, we the trust in you. There is no other.
Testament passage today picks up in Job chapter 27 verse 1 and really this this is kind of like Job's final speech all right this is his last big discourse between before God begins to enter in and talk to him so let's pick up with verse 1 and Job again took up his discourse and said as God lived who has taken away my right who has made my soul bitter wow Bitterness talking. He said, God, you took away my right. He said, and God, you made my soul bitter. God had done neither one. This was Satan's work. Not God. As long as my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that if you are right till I die, I will not put integrity away from me. He said, I'm not going to admit. He said, I'm not going to admit to sin that does not exist. He said, I'm not going to do it. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. But see... Job 1 and 2, God says, Job, you are blameless in all your ways. Let my enemy be as the wicked, and let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts them off and when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you concerning the hand of God. What is with the Almighty, I will not conceal. So he said, Paul, Job says, I will now teach. Now later on, you're going to see that God says, Job, 
uh, do you want to teach me? <laughs> Behold, all of you have seen it yourselves. Why then have you become altogether vain? He said, your, your words are vain. This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage that oppressors receive from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied as for the sword and his descendants have not enough bread, those who survive him the pestilence buries and his widows do not weep. Though he heap up silver like dust and pile up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the righteous will wear it and the innocent will divide the splendor. He builds a house like a moth's like a booth that watchmen make. He goes to bed rich, but will do so no more. He opens his eyes, and his wealth is gone. Now notice, a sinner loses everything. There is no wealth that remains. Okay? Terrors overtake him like a flood. In the night, the whirlwind carry him off. The east wind lifts him up and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls at him without pity and he flees from its power in headlong flight. It clasps its hands at him and hisses at him in its place. Chapter 28, verse 1. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the very limit the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers and they hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the, are the places of sapphires and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have trodden on it, the lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns the mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes see every precious thing. So notice, he said, man is different than the animals. <laughs> man is very different from the animals. He said, the animals don't notice any of these things, but man does. Man's eyes sees every precious thing. He dans up the stream so they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep say it is not in me, and the sea says it is not in me. It cannot be bought with gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. Okay, So wisdom is not for sale. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be ex exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where, then, does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. So God directs us to wisdom. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. 
and he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lighting of the thunder, then he saw it and declared, he established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. All right, now this is what God says. And you know what? You'll find that in other places in Scripture, so we need to go look them up and put them in there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Wow. Chapter 29, verse 1. And Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. He said, I remember. I remember the days that God watched over me. He said, I remember the days of the hedge that God placed around me to protect me. From chapter 1. When his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, I was in as I was in my prime, when friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. Man, he said, life was good. <laughs> When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared to sit, prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the agent rose and stood. He said, listen, there was a time when I had respect. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hands on their mouths. The voices of the nobles were hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me blessed, and when the eye saw, it approved because I delivered the poor who cried for help. Uh, wow. I delivered the poor who cried for help. Job said, this is how I've lived my life. And the fatherless, when there was none to help him, Job said, I helped the orphan. I helped the poor. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. So he helped the poor, he helped the fatherless, he helped those that were dying, and he helped the widows. He said, I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Now, brothers and sisters, remember Job 1 and Job 2. God said, this man is blameless in all his ways. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteousness and made him drop his prey from his, from his teeth. He defended the helpless. Then I thought, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as sand. My roots spread out to the waters with dew all night on my branches. My glory fresh with me, and my bow was ever new in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silent from my counsel. Job said, you know, I was a source of knowledge and wisdom. After I spoke, they did not speak again. My word dropped upon them. They waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence. <laughs> what a guy. 
I mean, he came to people who were insecure, smiled at them, and helped give them confidence. And the light of my face they did not cast down. I chose their way and sat as chief. I lived like a king among his troops, like one who comforts mourners. Paul said, or Job said, this is my life before all of this trouble. This is my life before all of this trouble. So you need to understand, yes, he's gotten bitter toward God, and God is about to challenge that. We'll pick that up in that story tomorrow. God is about to challenge him for some of the bitterness in his heart and some of the things that he has said and challenge him pretty strongly. But this is Job talking about what his life was like before, before Satan put out his hand. God said, Satan, he's in your hand. God never brought any of this destruction upon him. This is what God had done in his life. The pain, the suffering, the loss of his children, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his health, that was all done by Satan, not by God. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock in Jesus' name.